The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. After 14 years of unrest and unhappiness at St. James's Park, Newcastle United fans have spent the last week celebrating both the departure of Mike Ashley and the potentially glittering future under the wealthiest ownership group in world football. Newcastle don't play until tomorrow, but from a purely footballing perspective, this is a defining moment in the English game. And for the Geordies, a giant step closer to a return to the success of a century ago. A sleeping giant has just been woken up. It is a massive story for one of English football's biggest clubs. Newcastle rose to prominence in the early to mid-20th century, winning four top-flight titles and six FA Cups. And they enjoyed success in the early days of the Premier League as well, qualifying for the Champions League three times. But there was a turning point, May 2007, when Mike Ashley bought the club and tough times on Tyneside followed. Under Ashley, they were relegated from the Premier League twice, and finished higher than 10th just once. Fans protested against the owner, and in October 2017, he put the club up for sale. In April 2020, a consortium reportedly agreed a deal to buy Newcastle. But just a few months later, the deal appeared to fall apart when they withdrew their interest, citing the prolonged process and global uncertainty. But last week, the deal finally went through. As Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, as well as two international firms with a presence in England, officially completed the takeover for a reported fee of over $400 million. Good morning. Now, while the news has pleased many Newcastle supporters from a footballing perspective, the takeover has also come under criticism due to the human rights concerns about Saudi Arabia. The chairman of the Public Investment Fund, which acquired an 80% stake in the club, is Mohammed bin Salman. Bin Salman is also the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, the country's de facto ruler. The U.S. government has said human rights issues in Saudi Arabia include unlawful killings and executions for non-violent offences. In February, a U.S. intelligence report stated that Bin Salman approved the killing of U.S.-based journalist Jamal Khashoggi in Turkey in 2018. All of this has raised concerns partly due to bin Salman's role with Saudi Arabia itself and its public investment fund. In its statement confirming the deal, the Premier League outlined the central aspect as to why the takeover was able to be completed. They said they've, quote, received legally binding assurances that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia will not control Newcastle United Football Club. All parties are pleased to have concluded this process, which gives certainty and clarity to Newcastle and their fans. Well, those assurances cleared the way for the takeover. And if those legally bound assurances are not upheld, the Premier League has the right to disqualify the new owners. Well, joining me here this morning to discuss this, first and foremost, before we get to Watford against Liverpool, Tim Howard and Robbie Earl. Robbie, I'll start with you. Your reaction to the takeover finally going through? Slightly conflicted by the news, Rebecca, and it's all to do with separation. First of all, it's difficult to separate the football side of this conversation, and that's, you know, how great Newcastle can be and will be with, with this takeover, but also about the human rights and discrimination conversation that you feel has to go along with it. As well as that, the separation for me between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Public Investment Fund, I know they've given assurances that the Premier League say they're two separate entities, but I'm not sure how we can ensure that the, the Saudi state is not influencing the football club. I think that's the problem, isn't it, Tim? Mm. It's that separation... We have to believe it, but it's hard. Well, we have to believe it. It's just hard to decipher where that, where that separation comes in because of how powerful the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has shown to be in relation to PIF. So the Premier League has assurances. They have processes in place that if, that, if those aren't met, then they, they can disqualify them. So we have to trust that. Let's put the reservations to one side for a second and talk about this from a footballing perspective. This reminds us all, I think, of when Abramovich came into Chelsea, of when Mansour came into yeah. Manchester City. But this is almost a whole nother level. They are 
we are led to believe, as a club now, mm. richer than the other 19 Premier League clubs put together, Tim. And this is happening to Newcastle United. Mm. Talk to us about your reaction to it being Newcastle. Well, you, you said it was a sleeping giant. It, Newcastle Football Club is brilliant. Love to play there. Brilliant fans. It sits up on, it's like a castle on a hill. It, this isn't Man City, though, because when Man City was taken over, it was a yo-yo club. It, it had a ground that was just kind of in tatters and they needed a new building. This is ready-made. I mean, look, look out Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United, um, Liverpool. The spending that's going to go on here at this rich, traditional club, I think is going to be massive for the Premier League. I think it's going to catapult them straight away into the conversation in terms of European spots, in terms of Champions League, which is exactly where they deserve to be. It won't take very long. Maybe they'll get a few things wrong along the way, which is natural. But the money that's going to go into this football club, we're going to see the best players and the best managers in the world go through those doors. How do you see it affecting the Premier League? Changes the landscape of the Premier League as we know it. It's a game changer, Rebecca. And, and I say that it, it, it's so big that what this football club capacity can, can do. And when you look at teams in, in this league, there's a big six at the moment, mm. traditional big six. Forget that. From today, there's a traditional big seven. And that's funny to say that team that's second bottom from, from the league. But over a period of time, this club will be in the top four. This club will be winning Premier League titles. That's how big this news is. January 1st, transfer window opens. Are we going to mm. see splashing the cash immediately, do you think? I think people will come in. But I think it's also important about the money's important, but the leadership of this football mm. club, the people in, in place, the technical director, finding the right manager, them finding the right players. There's a process that, that's involved. So throwing money at it to make sure they stay in the league, I think is the first priority. Mm. But over the course of time, consistently growing the, the uh, player base and who's running the football club is going to be important. When Abramovich came into Chelsea, yeah. they had virtual instant success because mm -hmm. at that time there were no other billionaires right. in the Premier League. And, and now, of course, they've got Chelsea, they've got Man City, who are already rich um, with their owners. Do you think that a title will come relatively quickly? Yeah, I th certainly think it'll come over the next five, six, seven years, you know, and, and that's, that, that's, that's quick in terms of where they are right now. Look, we've seen the downfalls with QPR. You pump all the money in and money doesn't just buy you success. It helps. But as Robbie said there, the structure has to be in place from the top. The football and decisions have to be right. And then once the money comes in, sky's the limit for Newcastle. Well, in amongst all the takeover talk as well has been the question of whether or not Steve Bruce will keep his job. The thought was that he wouldn't, but he will be in charge tomorrow for what is his 1,000th game as a club manager. And he was asked about the situation in his pre-match press conference yesterday. How has everything impacted on you personally this week, Steve? It's not about me personally. I've tried to keep me respect and me dignity which has probably served me well over the last 20-odd years, <clears throat> and that will remain. Um, it's um, been difficult, of course, you know, but as I said, I hope you guys are getting a slap now for your bosses to say that you haven't done your job. Whoever your source was, whoever it was who was feeding you, didn't get it right. So uh, I hope you're feeling a bit of heat. Well, they didn't get it right yet because people did think that he would lose his job before mm. the game against Tottenham tomorrow. But the thought is that he will still lose his job. Do you mm. think that will happen? I think I think he'll lose his job. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that um, he has any future at, at Newcastle Football Club. I think it's a, a good gesture. They've allowed him to manage, even if he's not in their plans, to manage their, their, his 1,000th game. He's a good man. He's a good footballing man. Whether he's the right manager for this job, it's OK. But he's suffered too long at Newcastle Football Club, so this feels good. It's quite, quite a sad situation, Very a much. man who's come from Newcastle, mm -hmm. stood at the stadium as a child, managed his, his club mm -hmm. to end like this. Yeah, but it, 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 this felt like it was coming, so at least he can, get, he can feel like he has some sort of success in terms of where he's, where he's brought Newcastle Football Club and the fact that he gets his 1,000th game. Yep, he has kept them up. He certainly has, mm. 12th and 13th, and the two finishes under Steve Bruce. Um, there is talk of an interim manager coming in yeah. while they buy their time, the owners of Newcastle, to get the main man. Yeah. Do you think that could happen? Um, it's interesting. I think Steve Bruce might get 
a little more time than people think. I agree with Tim. You can't be lucky and have a thousand games as a manager. He's got to have some ability about him. I just think there's, there's a lot of parties involved in the takeover. It's a complex deal. I just think they might just say, you know, leave it with Steve. It's safe enough hands for now. We know we're looking for somebody and something bigger going down the road. So who is that person? Oh, Rebecca, this is a big job. So, Big Sam, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, big Stevie, I'm going to go. Big Stevie Gerrard. Knows the league, experienced, has played in Europe. I just wonder if it's kind of a next step for somebody like a Steven Gerrard. And he did not rule himself out when he was asked about it yesterday, the Rangers manager. Who are you giving us, Tim? I'd love it to see Antonio Conte. Just It's a little bit too soon. I think there's going to be some bumps in the road before then. A few other names before they yeah. get to their main man. OK, interesting stuff. This is the topic for Sunday morning's boot room. And here... In our side set, Tim Howard and Robbie Earl. Rob, I'll start with you. Mm. Your reaction to the takeover when you heard the news? Well, first of all, when the Premier League come out, Rebecca, and say this is one of the most difficult transactions they've ever had to do in the Premier League, tells you that the enormity of what we're talking about. I'm conflicted with the news. Conversations on football and what it means to Newcastle, very happy to do. Conversations on human rights and discrimination, I think, are, are part of, of the whole uh, conversation. Separation between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Public Investment Fund is, is, is a worry to me, Rebecca, that we don't know that the, the Saudi state are going to have any influence over the football club. So, conflicted will be my word. Obviously, pleased for Newcastle on a football point of view, but we still have to address that these other things are, are involved in this deal. And I think Newcastle fans share your sentiments. Excited on one <laughs> hand, conflicted on another. Tim, your reaction? Yeah, very similar to, to Robbie. Uh, hard to decipher the difference between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and PIF. But the Premier League have assured us, the public, and they have assurances in place, legally binding assurances in place, that if uh, these things aren't upheld, that they have the right to disqualify the ownership group. So we have to trust that, and in good faith we do. So, But from a footballing aspect, I couldn't be more excited. I could not be more excited for Newcastle to get back to where they were because we talk about them being a sleeping giant. They are instantly one of the big four, big six teams, instantly. So let's talk about it from a football mm -hmm. perspective, because it's not Newcastle United fans' fault who owns no. their club. So from a footballing perspective, mm. they have every right, as Tim says, yeah. to feel so excited about what the future holds. Are they, for you, instantly a top six or big six? Yeah, I mean, they, they were sitting... Or big seven now? Yeah, big seven. They were sitting second bottom in the table before they played Spurs late, later on today. But the, the landscape of English football's changed, Rebecca. We have now a super team. We have a big seven in English football. And yes, it's going to take a little bit of time. Yes, there's going to be some growth and, and some teething problems. But this team will challenge for Premier League titles. And with the, in a short space of time, this team will win a Premier League title. Well, let's talk time. Yesterday, Jamie Carragher, former Liverpool defender, wrote in his column in The Telegraph, he did not think that they would get a title in their St James's uh, Park trophy cabinet until 2030. Yeah. What do you think, Tim? It'll be before that. I, I agree with Robbie. There will be some, some growing pains, naturally. Um, you have to probably get through one or two different managers, bring in a bunch of big names who maybe don't work and, and gel right away. But certainly before 2030... It, Newcastle Football Club is St. James's Park. It's a cathedral uh, among, amongst football grounds. When we think of the blueprint that's been set for this, Manchester City, they were a yo-yo club. They were has-beens. They played at a rickety old stadium. Everything needed upgrading. Newcastle's ready made for this. They, 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 they just needed the money. And now that that's coming in, uh, it's, ex it's exciting times. Just a point I wanted to make, Rebecca, and, and th this uh, takeover is about the football club. They talk about regenerating the area, and it's obviously we know it's an area that's been economically challenged over recent times, so all that's great. One thing I think that, that's really important as well is that there's investment locally in the academy, that there's a couple of their own. Big clubs that come in with big monies and buy all the players, I think it's something that's been labelled at Chelsea at times. Manchester City with Phil Foden now has, has got somebody through the academy. So important that there's a local identity, that local young kids from Newcastle area can make it into this super team. And I think it's a really important point that, you know, going back in the day, we've had the Paul Gascoigne's, the, the Peter Beardsley, Chris Wall, great Newcastle players who've played for that club. It's important that that is kept open.
not sure Sunderland and Middlesbrough would agree with you because I think mm -hmm. at the moment, as, as things stand up there, the best kids go yeah. to Sunderland mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and maybe even to Middlesbrough, Correct. but things yeah. certainly are going to change up there in the northeast. Do you think, Tim, when you look back at the way Chelsea did it um, under Abramovich mm -hmm. when he first came in nearly 20 years ago, then City under Sheikh Mansour, do you think it's going to be harder for Newcastle because there are already the billionaires in place, whereas certainly for Chelsea, there was nobody. The gap was massive. Well, from all accounts, there's there's billionaires and then and then there's this group. And so the, the fact that they have even more money and that there are still world-class players available throughout Europe, they're going to get the players they want. They're going to get the manager they want. And I and as I mentioned earlier, it's going to take more than just one manager. There's going to be there's going to be someone who needs to come in a big name, probably fail at the first hurdle, but eventually they'll get that right. Do you think? And we'll talk about the manager after we've mm. heard from Steve Bruce. But do you think a manager is needed to attract? those elite players or do you think the elite players are needed to attract a manager the manager first for me the philosophy of the football club the director of football and the manager once you start to get those things in place you start to profile the players and the strategy and the way you're going to play then the players will come it, it, it's a process Rebecca and if they do it right and they take their time this club will be challenging I think, within the next five years. OK, well, uh, Steve Bruce is still the manager of Newcastle and today he will take charge of his 1,000th game in his entire career. Quite some feat, only the 34th manager to do that. Uh, that'll be later on against Tottenham. This is what he was asked about on Friday, of course, about the takeover. Here's his answer. Has what's happened this week, Steve, kind of soured what should be a, a really big day for you for your 1,000th match in charge? <laughs> Keith, it's not, it's not about me, a thousandth game. I played 950 times. I've won the domestically everything there is to win. So there comes a stage where it's not about me. It's about the club going forward, the team, and more importantly, getting a result on Sunday because there's times this season I think we've played very well. So we need a, we need a win and a victory to get us, to get us moving up the table. Just finally for me, Steve, are you hopeful that, that you can sort of convince the new owners that you can be part of this moving forward? Well, I'll have a crack. I'll, I'll try me utmost. And if they say fit, then great. That's Who wouldn't want this opportunity now? Any manager would love this opportunity um, and love to be sitting in my chair. So I'll make a fist of it. I'll try me utmost. And, and as always, try my best, which is best for the club. How has everything impacted on you personally this week, Steve? It's not about me personally. I've tried to keep me respect and me dignity, which has probably served me well over the last 20-odd years, <clears throat> and that will remain. Um, it's um, been difficult, of course, you know, but as I said, I hope you guys are getting a slap now for your bosses to say that you haven't done your job. Whoever your source was, whoever it was who's feeding you, didn't get it right. So uh, I hope you're feeling a bit of heat. Well, the journalist didn't get it right immediately, no. But, Tim, is there a world in which this new ownership group, which is three-pronged because it's divided up between three sections, um, leaves Steve Bruce in the job for some time whilst they go on their hunt? Mm. It is a three-pronged three ownership. They probably want different managers. Back to something that, that Robbie touched on before. All the money in the world is great, but we've seen at football clubs there has to be a proper hierarchy of football people who know how to make decisions, whether it be the chief executive, someone underneath him, then the manager. So it can't just be about money. I don't see a pathway um, for Steve Bruce much longer. It's, I, think it's, I think it's brilliant they've given him his 1,000th game and not sacked him straight away. I think that's coming soon. Um, it's bittersweet, though, because don't like the way that Steve Bruce has been treated over his time at, at Newcastle Football Club. It's been difficult. He's a, he, he was grew up on the terraces. This is his club. Whether he's the right man for the job or not, it's it almost like he's been dragged through the mud a little bit. And I don't think that's right because at the end of the day, he's a good football manager. It's interesting you mentioned the three-pronged ownership group, mm. even though, even though um, yeah. there is an 80% stake from, yeah. from Piff. Yeah. Um, Everyone having different ideas, some knowing more about football than others. Mm. Lee Charnley, the current chief executive, is going to do a little period where he does a yeah. handover, but we don't have a new chief executive. Yeah. There is so much to be done, as Tim was saying, mm. with getting football people in the building who know what they're doing before you even think about buying players. There are key roles behind the, the manager that we see and do, who does um, the press conferences every day that is so important. And if those things behind the manager fall into place, then the manager has a good chance of success. And so... 
Amanda Stavely was, I think, involved with the Manchester City purchase, and they went on to build a proper structure, and now they've got Pep. You tend to think they may have to go back down that route. It may take a little while longer than maybe some Newcastle fans would like, but they will get there in the end. Now, a certain special one over the course <laughs> of this weekend who is managing <laughs> Roma at the moment in Italy has said that he has an emotional connection to Newcastle United because of Sir Bobby Robson, who was the Newcastle United manager for many years, who Jose Mourinho worked for at Barcelona, Robbie. Jose Mourinho to leave Roma and go to St James's Park. There are worse options. Kind of quite like it, Rebecca Lowe. Kind of quite like it. Profile will bring attention. Tactically sound, not going to be win football in, with the greatest uh, front foot play, but we'll get them right. Was the guy who started it at Chelsea and built it mm. for Abramovich. He's a builder, mm -hmm. and then we move on. And I think Jose would accept that right now. I, I think the point that he's built, he, he was part of the building blocks at Chelsea uh, is enticing. It's also about identity, about character and pizzazz, and, and he yeah. brings that. He'll bring it for one or two or three seasons but it gets them onto the, the, the landscape. You're global. You get yeah. Jose Mourinho as your manager, you go global instantly. But we shouldn't forget that he hasn't had a brilliant time of it recently. Does he still attract the calibre yeah. of player that they would absolutely. want? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if you're asking me whether Jose Mourinho can sign big-time player, when he sits you in a room, he gives, gives you that glint, Rebecca. Now, I know you know you would sign for Jose. Yes, and the Premier League, you have to say, is usually a better place mm -hmm. to have Jose Mourinho oh, in it. Just because, Can you imagine at Newcastle, oh, 50,000 fans who love him? He oh. would become the oh. god in Newcastle yeah. United. It would be quite some story. We shall see. He has an emotional connection, so maybe that means he's available. Mm -hmm. Tim, Robbie, thank you very much indeed. A really, really interesting boot room this Sunday morning after a massive story in English football. Mo Salah, Tim Howard, right now is absolutely on fire. It's interesting when somebody scores a hat-trick, yeah. and my first question is actually not about that player, it's about Mo Salah. But what I want to ask you, they've got to sign him up. Yeah, I mean, if there's any player, you ask me, is he, is he one of the best players in the world? Absolutely, best, one of the best players in the league. I mean, at Liverpool Football Club, he, he is everything to them. It, Yes, Bobby Firmino got his goals today, but it's all because everything is predicated to Mo Salah. Teams are set up, as we saw today, mm. not very well, to stop Mo Salah. They must. He has to sign for Liverpool. I mean, it's, it's, if they don't, it's, it's terrible. Do you think that Mo Salah is interested in an adventure elsewhere? That's why there's this slight hold-up? I don't think he should be mm. allowed to be interested in anywhere else. Listen, the bigger clubs around Europe would look at him in the back. Bigger clubs would want him. Where else better would he, would he go? Would he want to go to Spain or Italy? I'm not so sure. The thing about Mo Salah, Rebecca, is that he's a, a scorer of great goals as well as a goal scorer. So he gets the, the tap-ins and he enjoys them. But then we've seen with, with the flashback the brilliance that he can do. You know, that moment can come against Watford, but it can come against Manchester City, Chelsea or Manchester United in big games as well. That's why you've got to keep him. Before the game, and actually all week, Jurgen Klopp was complaining about the 12.30 uh, UK time, kickoff time. Um, it, but it looked like this team were fully refreshed, even though they weren't at full strength. It didn't cause them a problem at all, Tim. No, and I think, I think managers like to find things to complain and find things to get themselves revved up and their team fired up. And he did that. I actually thought he probably should have made more changes to keep players, given the fact that they do have the, the game midweek. So, look, they were always going to get the job done today. And so I think he, you know, he's a clever manager. And so he, it was an opportunity for him to not only make changes to his starting lineup, but also to give his team motivation. Like, you're going to Watford, you should win, but I want to make sure you guys understand the importance of it. The difference in the two teams today, Rebecca, wasn't just about Liverpool's skill and ability and finishing and, and the quality of individuals. It wasn't about that. They were more hungry than Watford. When mm. they lost the ball, Liverpool, they chased after it. And when I talk about hunger, this is a big worry for Claudio Ranieri. When you think of what's coming for them in terms of fixtures down the road, the, the kind of fixtures that, if you're not hungry against some of these teams, they've got Everton to play, they've got Arsenal, United, Leicester, Chelsea, Manchester City. If you're not hungry against those days, I just hope Claudio Ranieri's got his removal men on speed dial. Because I'm telling you what, he mm. might not last his way through those, if those kind of performances stay. I mean, there's a giant gulf in class, as we talked about it, even at half, uh, half time between these two clubs. He can't, he can't work magic immediately, but you expected something, didn't you? No, you can't work magic immediately. That scares me, that fixture list for Claudio Ranieri. 
as I mentioned at halftime, I want to see some effort. I want to see some tackles going in. And we just saw a team that just rolled over today. So that's a worry for me. OK, well, maybe it's just that first game against Liverpool, who are at a different level. He can put that to one side and get to work. Claudio Ranieri, now manager of Watford Football Club. Mo Salah scores tap-ins, screamers and absolute mesmerising gems like the one against City last weekend and this one against Watford today. That made it four. Liverpool beat Watford by five goals to nil. Let's hear from the man of the moment, Mo Salah. The unbeaten run goes on. You had a grip on the game from the start. You never let it go today, did you? Yeah, I think uh, we didn't want to start as uh, City game, so we, we were talking in the dressing room that we... We need to start the game well, and um, I think that that's what we did. You had control throughout, but, but the goals, they were, they were very special indeed. Should we talk about yours? <laughs> <laughs> I think all the goals uh, were very important. Bobby did a great job today, scored a hat-trick, congratulations mm. to him. Um, so Sadio also scored a nice goal. Um, so all the goals are very important. All of them, and, and that was Sadio's 100th Premier League goal as well, which is a lovely goal to get it. Yeah. However, I know you don't want to talk too much, we've been watching your goal, I think they've replayed it about four or five times already. Mm. I didn't watch it. <laughs> I didn't watch it yet. Maybe we'll pop it up on the screen, Mario. But you've left a few bodies on the floor there. Have you, have you scored a better goal than that, do you think? Last game, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which one was better, this one or the City one. But, you know, every time I, I'm in the box, I'm trying to give the ball um, to, to someone to score or I score by myself. So it's always about the team and always try to play for the team. So the most important thing today is um, we score good goals all of us in front scores so hopefully we can we can, we can ca carry on like that yeah we could see it as well but in, in your personal form right now do you feel you're as sharp as you've ever been <laughs> i don't know i'm just trying mm. sometimes i don't have like luck to score goals sometimes i'm i'm just trying every time to give 100 percent from what i have and trying to help the team sometimes you have luck sometimes not but i feel yeah i'm feeling i'm confident at the moment i feel like i'm scoring goals helping the team to get the points which is the most important thing well, certainly since coming to Liverpool, he's been nothing short of fantastic. Mm -hmm. But it feels like he's getting even better, Rob. It's funny, Rebecca. So I'm, I'm listening to him and thinking about it. And Alan Shearer is the top goal scorer, 260. But he's, he's not the Shearer type. You know, that's more Harry Kane. He's more the Henri. He's, he's, he's more the Rooney. Those special moments. And as he says, he's playing right now at the top of his game. I think we'll look back on, on this period, the amount of goals and the quality of goals, and saying he's a Premier League great. Mm -hmm. He hasn't always got the credit that maybe he deserves him, but you start to get the sense now, I think, especially with these type of goals, he's going to. Well, the type of goal he shows up for every game, whether it's the bottom team in the league, mm. top team that, last week versus this week, he, he makes his team go. And by the way, this is a real title contender in Liverpool. I mean, they don't concede chances. Their front four score. I thought it was Jota as the number nine. He, he's making a case for himself for me, you know, back in the starting lineup. So there's a really good balance here. The headlines this morning are surrounding the position of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yesterday, Rob Dave Olstein, David Olstein, mm. who is our um, Premier League insider, he tweeted out that 100% safe as of now mm. is Solskjaer's job. Should it be? Uh, I think we're getting to the stage, Rebecca, where it's up for debate. Um, poor displays and defeats uh, as a Manchester United manager, for me, are starting to overtake goodwill and great playing memories of a former Manchester United player. And the thing that stood out to me, and, and, and I heard an interview after the game from Oli, that he said, it's, quote, we didn't get enough 50-50 challenges, we didn't win enough second balls, which kind of shook me a little bit. Listen, back in the Wimbledon days, when you have Vinny, you have Fash, you have Dean Ellsworth, we bruise our way to victories and we get 50-50s in second balls. Manchester United have Bruno, Pogba, Ronaldo, world-class operators... You are expected to have possession of the ball and control the game. And that's the big thing I would say with Manchester United. The, the lack of organisation, the lack of tactical coherence means that they can attack and they can defend, but they can't control a game. And it happened yesterday when they scored two great goals, yet conceded four terrible ones at the back. You mentioned Paul Pogba yesterday after the game, some very telling quotes from him. To be honest, he said, we've been having this kind of game for a long time and we haven't found the problem. Well, that points to the manager. Tim, what is in it for the Manchester United board to keep Solskjaer as of now? Well, if their objective is just to make top four and isn't to bring in trophies as of yet, maybe, maybe that is... 
the right plan. It doesn't. He has enough stock built up, as Robbie said, until he doesn't, and and that basically means results haven't been great, right? They've always had to come from behind. Like this, they had this really great record of like points dropped, and then they're able to come from. That's not a great record. When you have Man United, we talk about. Sir Alex Ferguson probably too often, but it was run forward, pass forward, play forward. And you talked about the the world-class players. Man United have always had world-class players. The the baseline for those players has always been you run forward, pass forward, play forward, and you play tough. It was impossible to go to Man United and win, but impossible to go to Old Trafford. Now it's just easy. It's easy. Teams aren't afraid to go there anymore, and it's a problem. And and that that continuity comes down to the man. Ultimately, comes down to the manager. You get the players. We've talked about. He has all the tools in the toolbox now, and yet we're still not seeing it. So there's a there's a problem there. And 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 for me, I worry. I talk about Villa, Everton, Leicester. Those haven't been good. The next run of fixtures, it's scary. I mean, we're we're in we're in scary season now. This is scary. I mean, you just look at this list here: Liverpool, Tottenham, Manchester City. This is all Premier League. I look at Watford. Yeah, they'll, they'll get get result at Watford. But where where does the next result come from with the way that they've been dropping points? I mean, this is so incredibly difficult for this Manchester United team. Yeah, it is a horrible run of fixtures, especially when you're not in mm. form. My question, Robbie, is this. Yeah. If they did change their manager, ahead yeah. of especially a run of fixtures like yeah. that now, yeah. is the title recoverable? Absolutely. Um, we started this season back, and we've had this debate for the last couple of years about is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer good enough to manage Manchester United. Now, I said to you at the beginning of the season, give me a season, I'll let you know. Why do I say that? Because, as Tim said, this squad of players is good enough to challenge, and I say challenge for a title. Mm -hmm. It's a debate whether they can win it or not, and luck and other things may come into it. But this team are good enough to challenge for a title from now till till we get to mid-May. And if the guy in charge isn't good enough to get them there then if Manchester United are ambitious, if Manchester United want to get back to winning silverware, they'll have to make the change. They're already out the League Cup. Mm. They're looking a bit dodgy at times in the Champions mm. League. They've got to run like mm. that. This season could fall away could... totally, and then it isn't recoverable. Shouldn't they take action now, Tim? No, and, and I'm with Robbie. We, we want to give Solskjaer this season because now he has all the tools. But you, you only get that if results mm. start to creep in the right direction. If they don't, and we look at this run of fixtures, yeah, then there's some questions that are going to be asked, certainly by the board. By the way, there's another big player coming into town who we're going to see uh, later on today. Newcastle United, Mm. in a few years, Rebecca, will be in the top four of the Premier League. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Take a moment to focus on Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. Just a quick recap of his accomplishments, reaching two Champions League finals as manager of the Reds, winning it in 2019 against Spurs, then winning the Premier League title in 2020. As you'll remember, it was the first top-flight title for the club in 30 years. Five top-four finishes in his six Premier League seasons, and he was named manager of the season in that year that he won the Premier League. And on Thursday, just a few days ago, I had a morning date via Zoom with Mr Klopp. Jürgen, let me start with the fact that you are now six years in the job at Liverpool. I want you to cast your mind back, if you could, to that very first game away at Spurs. When you look at that squad and you look at the squad now, what does that tell you about the work that you and the players have done? <laughs> it, was a, it looks like a different time for, for, for different reasons, to be honest. It's a, it seems to be longer ago than six years because so many things happened since then. So let's see it then, Jürgen. Full throttle, emotional football. His word, Liverpool have invited a charismatic new character into our league. I remember that day really well. I got a, a, a picture of myself on that day on the sideline from my Gordon, our owner, after the game, like first match, for first work day or whatever, match for Liverpool. Since then, we had a few more, and it was a start for something really special. That's true. And the club, um, all the stuff around... 
Um, the coaches did quite a good job, the players especially, um, over the years that we are now in an obviously different position. So we had quite a few steps to go, but we did them and we enjoyed them. We enjoyed doing them and um, here we are. We are not where we want to be, but we are in a better position than before and now we try to use the position we are in to get an even better one. But it really seems longer ago than six years ago. The, the, only, the only moment when I really realized that it's, <laughs> it's six years ago when I see the difference, obviously, in my face, it's massive. Right? It's massive. So the, 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 this young guy who arrived here and this, the guy who's sitting here now, that's, I, I can't really imagine that it's the same person as well. So obviously... <laughs> Time was not too, didn't think, or didn't treat me too nicely. It's all fine. It's not fishing for compliments. I know it. I see it. Meanwhile, that's all good. But yeah, a lot of things happened, obviously. Well, other than any visuals, Jürgen, in the last <laughs> six years, how have you changed inside as a manager? What's been maybe the biggest change in you? Nothing. A good thing I didn't have to change. I didn't have to change. I improved, obviously. That's clear because of plenty of challenges. I never expected to have them. So to sort them, to find a solution for them, that makes you a better manager. That's how it is. I never would or could have done it alone, but by, with my coaches, with all the stuff here, we created a really nice atmosphere at, at, at Liverpool. It's really a nice place to work. So we all know, and I said it famously a lot of times, um, the weather is not great in Liverpool, but when you're indoors, that's not important. And we are quite a lot indoors, and we have a really nice working atmosphere here. So we do it for each other here. We know we do it for our supporters, of course, but it's really important here as well. I think in this environment, 98% uh, of the people are massive LFC supporters, and um, that's nice. It's really nice to have them around and try to help them to yeah, achieve their dreams. Um, their dreams and the dreams of the people and dreams of the players, my dreams. So it's nice. It only works together, and that's why we try it, not in a different way. Well, you know, of course, here in the United States, there are so many avid Liverpool fans who listen to your every word, Jürgen, every single week in your press conferences. And that very first presser that you did when you first arrived six years ago, and you talked about winning a title. If we want, this could be a real special day. But in a special Liverpool way, we can be successful. What about the next four years? What's your target now? What can you tell those fans here in the States to listen out for that Jurgen Klopp wants now? Oh, we go for everything. We go for everything. I didn't know that that time that we can. So how can you say when you come in and you're, I don't know exactly the position and table we were at that time. It was not too, uh, <laughs> too fancy, but I don't know. But and now obviously we are in different, we are in a completely different situation and we are competitive for everything. That's how it is. That doesn't mean we get everything, but um, it means we'll fight for it. So whenever you speak about a football game, so the next one, it's Watford or the, the game after, it's Atletico or then Man United. And the, the, the respect asking for it really, telling how good the opponent is, because it is. They are. They are good. They can hurt you. But in all these things, I know while I answer that, all these questions, I know, but we are not bad as well. So we can give them a proper game. We can give every, each team in the world a proper game. On our day, we can beat everybody. That's the truth. That was not the case when I came here. And though that's different, obviously, now. But that is the kind of... That, pushes you on one side, very positive, on the other side, it, you, you are responsible for, for, for delivering the, the performance as well. And that's what we are doing. We are constant in this, in this mood, we want to go for the next, we want to go for the next. And look, we said it before, how, how the last few years were, it's incredible. Eh? So like, we start with nearly becoming champion, or going to the Champions League final, which was an exciting run to go there, then nearly becoming champion, for, for, not for one point, but for 11 inches or centimeter or whatever it was but then winning the Champions League a year later winning the league and then the year later we get the biggest knock in the world football injury wise to like all of losing all center halves is a massive challenge and we, placed, we still played Premier League we couldn't change the league to a week ago on we had to play Premier League and we were still Liverpool the team who won the league the year before everybody wants to beat you and getting through that and ending up at third is for me the next step in that actually for people it's like I think there were some people that said we had the worst title defense uh, in, in the world, is that the right saying? So, like, the, the, the worst... <laughs> wow, thank you very much for that. Um, but 
we, we ended up at third, could qualify for the Champions League. And that was very, very positive because of the character of the boys and the character of this club. So this never give up thing, we all have it in us meanwhile and we all want to use it and we will not give up. Until our last day here, we will not give up. We will try absolutely everything. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. So I cannot promise anything apart from we will give it a proper try. It is always such mm -hmm. a pleasure, even if I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning yeah. to talk to Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager. Um, and next weekend at the Fan Fest, just a little insight for you Liverpool fans, there'll be a message for you from Jurgen Klopp. And it is brilliant. It's Klopp at his best. One of the things that's really struck me, chaps, about Jurgen Klopp over the past few months really is yeah. he seems happier he mm. seems like the fans are back the injury worries are gone he had some personal issues as well last year yeah. he just seems freer do you get that sense Rob absolutely um and the big question was whether this team could go again they've shown they have Rebecca unbeaten high scorers in the league playing as well as anybody and Jurgen Klopp has got his mojo back and that's why the manager of a football club is the most important and the most valuable mm. There were times before he won the title for 30-odd years, and we've played against Liverpool teams that were average, Rebecca. They've had, always had great players, a Fowlers, an Owen, a, a Gerrard, but they weren't a great team. He's changed that perspective. They have respect wherever they go now, in, in England and in Europe, as being a great football club again. When you were in England and when you were at Everton, tell us the difference in perception of Liverpool when you were there and mm. right now. Well, I think the, the Liverpool was, was this great team within England, and he talked about it. They're Jurgen Klopp. They can give anybody a game on any day and, and when they go across Europe. And now, now they're, they're, they're respected globally you know, on, on the pitch. And th this team, no other team in the league mirrors their manager, as you said, the way that Liverpool mirrors Jurgen Klopp. Now, talking about the very latest, I'm going to cross live to London uh, to talk to David Ornstein, our Premier League insider. And we'll start with Newcastle. It's a huge day from every perspective. I think you'll agree, David. Some latest Newcastle takeover updates, if you could fill us in. Rebecca, let's be clear, this is probably the most controversial takeover in English football history. Make no mistake about that, for reasons that you've outlined there and reasons we'll discuss now. For Newcastle fans, this may, in the main part is a, a great opportunity. They're delighted to see the back of Mike Ashley after 14 years, which they feel has seen their club criminally underdeveloped. Uh, it will also bring a lot of controversy among the other Premier League clubs who are simply not happy that uh, a new kid is on the block. You would like to think it's more because of the human rights abuses, but from what I hear, uh, it's more about the fact that the teams at the top may be knocked off their perch and the teams towards the bottom may have one less rival for the relegation places. And then comes those uh, very severe criticisms and concerns about human rights abuses in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, of course, of uh, issues such as piracy, which is, is not a small matter as well. And most importantly, as you mentioned there, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. If we look at this from a football perspective, the new ownership is split into three parts, 80% uh, with uh, PFI, the Public uh, Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, which the Premier League insist is a separate entity and that they've got evidence and assurances legally binding to show that from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Then you have um, the Rubin brothers taking a 10% stake and also Amanda Staveley. She will be heading this up from a public perspective with her husband. So far, a lot of change, but very little has actually happened. Change is on the way, they say. They're going to do it slowly and methodically. And that's why Steve Bruce is still in charge today for his 1,000th game as a manager. He is likely to be replaced at some point. I'm sure he knows that, but who with? They're yet to decide. The same in terms of a chief executive. Managing director Lee Charnley from the previous regime remains in position. And they will need a sporting director as well. They are putting people in place to listen 
to and to give them advice, but they're not going to jump into anything. I think Newcastle fans' excitement needs to be tempered by the knowledge that this will take time and patience. And at the same time, they're in a relegation battle. 19th, 18th in the Premier League, sorry. Uh, They haven't won in seven games this season, which makes today all the more important. Now, when you look at these football decisions, you think, who are they going to be advised by? Because this takeover came about very quickly, despite being rejected for four years. Suddenly, out of the blue, it was granted. And I think it caught the takeover group by surprise. And that means that they need to be very careful about who they listen to. From what I hear, they have a lot of advisors around them, the three different parties. If they get this wrong and don't do it the right way, it could be a disaster waiting to happen. But if they get it right and listen to the correct people and make the right appointments, then it could be a spectacular success. The potential here at Newcastle, given they've got technically the wealthiest owners in the whole of Uh, world football means that that's why the fans are getting so excited Um, but it's a big if today is the start of a new era and that's why there will be such an incredible atmosphere at St James's Park I don't think Steve Bruce's presence will have any effect on that Um, but back to that point they need the three points they need to get out of this relegation trouble and then build towards the future and that controversy those human rights issues must not stop being talked about and they will not go away Super comprehensive, David, thank you. You're actually talking to us from Manchester, which I know is where you're based, and you're very close to so many clubs in the Premier League. But Manchester United is very interesting. Last night, you tweeted out on your account that you had official 100% confirmation that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position, despite losing at Leicester and another defeat, was 100% safe for now. Can you expand? Yes, indeed, Rebecca. My understanding is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his position as Manchester United manager are 100% secure at this moment in time. Of course, we've been in football long enough to know that things can change, but he does have the full backing of the Manchester United hierarchy, despite the disappointing run of form that United are in at the moment. Four defeats from their last seven games in all competitions. Their 29-game unbeaten streak on the road has gone at Leicester City. They sit fifth in the Premier League, and look at their fixtures coming up. Liverpool... uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Manchester City, even Chelsea and Arsenal on the horizon and crucial Champions League home and away legs against Atalanta. They sit third in their Champions League group after two games. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has just received a new contract in July. It's going to take him through to 2024 with the option of an extra year. Prior to that, of course, in December 2018, he was a caretaker appointment when Jose Mourinho was sacked. He was always meant to be there on a temporary basis, but he did well enough reconnected Manchester United with their DNA to gain a three-year contract in March of 2019. Many people have never been in favour of him and they always think that he's not the manager that Manchester United need. But the club believe in him. They're backing him. And so that means that they're not going to knee-jerk to these results, despite a lot of noise on social media and understandable concerns. When you look at performances like yesterday, when you look at the contract situation with Paul Pogba, he's a free agent in the summer of 2022. When you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, the way he's been looking as uh, he's come off the pitch, the way he's been looking towards uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at occasions, is there cause for concern there? But then you look to the wider picture, the managerial market. Who could they bring in now if they were to make a change? Antonio Conte, maybe? Zinedine Zidane? Well, none of those would perhaps have the immediate impact that Manchester United will be looking for. And that's why I think they're going to stick with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for the foreseeable future. That might not be happy news to everybody. But if you look at the Leicester game... The Man United fans, for long periods of that match, were singing his name. Now, we know that he does need to deliver. You don't buy Cristiano Ronaldo, Jadon Sancho, Rafael Varane on a summer of heavy investment and under the name Manchester United if you don't expect immediate results. They've not won a trophy since 2017. And the pressure, of course, will be building on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But my information is that he is not under threat at the moment. He is secure in his position, which, to remind you, is a contract until 2024 with the option of a further year. Fascinating. The other side of Manchester, Raheem Sterling gave an interview last week, David, in which he said that maybe he'd be open to a move abroad because he's not getting a lot of game time at Manchester City. Well, he started yesterday in their win against Burnley. Pep didn't seem very impressed with Sterling's words last week, but then started him. What is your insight on the Sterling-Pep situation at City? 
I've got to tell our viewers in America and all over the world that this is significant news over here in the UK. Towards the end of the week, it was a major talking point because Raheem Sterling is one of the most notable figures in English football for club and for country. He made a 49 million GBP transfer to Manchester City from Liverpool in the summer of 2015. He has an amazing record of more than 100 goals in more than 300 appearances for Manchester City. In the summer, of, in the season of 2019 to 20, he was in spectacular form. I think it was something like 30 goals in 51 club appearances. That dipped by more than half last season. 14 goals in about 49 appearances. He actually made a bigger impact, of course, in the European Championships for England, where he was put front and centre by Gareth Southgate. Pep Guardiola has not prioritised him like that. There has been tension behind the scenes. But if he is to leave when his contract expires in the summer of 2023 or earlier, where is he going to go? The likes of Real Madrid, who he's flirted with in the past, Barcelona, do they have the money and the desire for him? English clubs, do they have the money and would Manchester City sell to them? Would Raheem Sterling go there? I think this is a major one to watch because Raheem Sterling is not happy at the minute, especially his game time has been limited by the signing of Jack Grealish, but an injury to Ferran Torres has opened the door, so this could be a critical juncture and a turning point for Raheem Sterling. West Ham United's season had just tailed off a little bit, but right back mm -hmm. on track with that three points at Goodison Park. And when you look over the course of the 90 minutes, fully deserved? Better team, one mm -hmm. Becker. And David Moyes spent 11 years at Everton, and he built a team there which was consistent. And it was good enough to get him the Man United job. He's doing a similar building job at West Ham. West Ham have always had good players, but players who didn't particularly work when they didn't have the ball. Now, Bowen, Fornals, Ben Rama are doing their bit. And when you've got Declan Rice behind them and Mikel Antonio in front of them, you're not, you're not in a bad place. We see so much rotation in the Premier League. And even West Ham are in Europe. They've got a Europa League game mm. against Genk on Thursday. But it is, I think you mentioned the word settled when you talk about West Ham. This team is very familiar to each other, to the fans. Yeah. It's almost the same 11 every week. How important is a settled team? Well, well, it is, particularly under David Moyes, because that, that, that's his M.O. He, he doesn't actually want the big stars having to rotate them. And, and, and Robbie Earl said there, that, that front four players, they're not superstars. These are guys who have kind of grafted their way through the ranks. They finally have come together. They feel like a family. They're playing like one. And that's why we're seeing the best results. Because, yes, they have a lot of games because of Europa League, but you won't see many changes. No. OK, good win that for West Ham United. Not how the new ownership of Newcastle United wanted it to go. Mm. Are Newcastle in relegation trouble? Right now, you'll have to say yes, Rebecca. 19th in the Premier League, winless in this, uh, over the course of the season. Um, can't put a 90-minute performance together. And, and the biggest thing I would say is there's actually no style, philosophy, mm. personality to this football club. If you look through the league... And it's not just Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea. You, you kind of know who, how they're going to play and you know the players in the, in the team. But you think of Newcastle and you, you have no real idea of mm. what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it. We see Brentford, we see Leeds, we see Brighton. There's a footballing philosophy that you can see the moment the game starts. With Newcastle, it's a bit of everything. It's a bit long ball, it's a bit plain in here. And until they get that identity, until somebody grabs hold of this football club... They're going to find themselves in trouble. Tim, do you think they should change Steve Bruce, change the manager, even if they haven't got their number one target in mind that can come soon? Yeah, you look at this game, and, and, and I worry. I worry about relegation. You asked Robbie the question. This ownership group would have had a plan A, a massive plan A, and possibly a plan B, but it's, all, it's often a distance, meaning they don't want to get relegated. But they're in it right now. They're in a, they're in a fight right now. I, I worry, with all the speculation surrounding Steve Bruce, like he will be sacked. It's just a matter of when. Players, and we know this from being in the dressing rooms, it's like they could down tools. They could just say, look, what are we, what are we playing for? I'm not going to be here. They're going to bring in big names, Mbappe, Messi, blah, blah, blah. Manager's not going to be here. What are we playing for? That's danger. You've that's got a, an excuse, haven't you? When you've that's got an a worry. excuse in, yeah. in, in the dressing room, it's dangerous. So there needs to be a lift. There, there has to be a lift. Steve Bruce, he almost is resigned to his fate. They have, there has to be some sort of manager that comes in to lift the group just to keep them above, above the line at a minimum. And right now... Three points, it's just not good. Resigned to his fate, no pun intended. No, no. Steve Bruce. Steve, commiserations. Not the way you wanted to mark your milestone in the end. How did you see it? Well, certainly we're better, uh, beaten by the better team. 
after a wonderful start. But unfortunately, were were problems which we've we've had for a while now. Um, defensively, was was there for everybody to see. Unfortunately, so um, the the goals we give away, you could say yes, a lot of good play from Tottenham, but some of our defending needed a lot to be desired, to say the least. Does it feel like an opportunity that got away from you today, given the circumstances plus the way you started the game? I think. Um, I think we've started a few games like that. You know, we've we've got off to a good start. We've scored. We've got our noses in front, and unfortunately, at the moment, we're not able we're not able to defend well enough as a team. Now, I'm not criticising back fours or midfield players. You know, football's a team game, and um, you know, from unfortunately, from front to back at the moment, you know, we're not defending well enough. Um, so we have tried to change. We have tried to be a little bit more uh, on the front foot, if you say if that's the right word these days. Um, um, but it's, it's, um, it's difficult because you kind of keep yourself having to score three goals to win a match. Just going away from the football itself for a second, you saw obviously what happened, yeah. or, or, or that there was an unfortunate medical emergency in the crowd at the end of the first half. Do you agree that the players deserve a lot of credit for the way think, they reacted at the time? I think everybody in the ground, full stop, uh, I believe there's a defibrillator on that side of the ground too. Um, thankfully, we're hearing that the, the man is OK. So it puts things into perspective a, a little bit that by the actions of what we've taken these days, we've managed, it looks like anyway, good news, which, is, uh, which I'm delighted for, and of course his family. Well said. Returning to the football, the goal that Spurs scored in the sort of restart period appeared to take the game away from you. How did you see a way back at that point? Well, we needed to score the next one and we needed to give ourselves a chance, and of course... You know, we've you know we didn't get it until late en- enough. From we huffed and puffed second half, but we never had any real sustained pressure on Spurs at all. They were always seemed to be comfortable, um, but we stayed with it, stuck with it. And um, you know, if we had scored maybe another ten minutes earlier, who'd who'd have known? Even though, as I said, we were down to ten men. Going forward, Steve, what is your understanding of your own situation? The likelihood of you being in charge against Palace? Well, that's for other people. That's for other people to decide. You know, if, um, you know, if, if I was reading everything and seeing what we're seeing last week, uh, I might not have been here today. But look, my job is to get a few results. And unfortunately, this year, whether it be a Newcastle manager or whoever manager in the Premier League, you haven't won in seven or eight, then you become under pressure, if that's the right word. So it's part and parcel of dealing with being in the Premier League. It's the big league for big boys. And I'll crack on and carry on as best I can until I hear otherwise. How crucial for all concerned, though, that there is some clarity to the situation? Well, that's what needs. Every football club needs clarity. And it needs, it needs uh, from the top, right, the way through to everything that makes a football club the way it is. And, you know, with this, the new owners have been very respectful. You know, I can't say enough of them, of the way they've gone about their business over the last week, ten days, so, but, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say, so we've still got what frailties as a team, and uh, it's up to me, to, in, the, in the near future anyway, to hopefully get better. The fact remains that you've reached a major milestone today, a thousand games and almost a hundred of them with Newcastle United. How do you reflect on that? <laughs> well, I'd love to say it's been a, a, a lovely ride. It's been difficult, but I think I've been the circumstance for a lot of frustration for a lot of years. The people of Newcastle want to see the club move forward. We're in a wonderful opportunity now. And all I've ever wanted was to make sure this great club of ours moves forward. Um, But that's going to take a little bit of time. Appreciate your time. Thank Thank you, you. Steve. Thank you. Watching that interview and watching interviews all week, it feels, Tim, like he's just a sort of sitting duck. If you were Steve Bruce's best friend, you're going out for a drink with him tonight, Mm. what are you advising him to do? That's an easy one for me, Bex. I I just said walk away with your dignity. You've put too much into this this game. You've been a brilliant servant to many clubs. You don't need this. But if the rumours are correct and there's a payout coming... You maybe don't walk. So, you know, again, I would look at it and say, one, walk away with your dignity. But two, you know, the cash payout could be also, you know, worth his while too. So it's difficult. And it's not just any old cash payout. The stories and reports are um, out of the Daily Telegraph and a few other newspapers that it's a $10 million Mm -hmm. severance payment if Steve Bruce waits to be fired. If he walks away, Robbie Earl, he gets not a penny. With all due respect to the morals of the situation yeah. and also the emotions that he's feeling, ain't walking away, is he? 
He isn't walking away, but there, there could be something in between, Rebecca. Seeing that interview there, seeing Steve Bruce, knowing Steve Bruce personally and, and have played against him and seeing his teams, he's emotional there. That, that's hurting yeah. him. And I worry a little bit for his health. 50,000 people generally every week go and, and boo him. Social media has got him, you know, people don't want him around the football club. Everybody still thinks of, while Steve Bruce is front and centre of Newcastle United, there's still a link back to Mike Ashley. Mm -hmm. And I know, is it Lee Chorley as a CEO working behind? But it, it, Steve Bruce is, is visible. And I think the sooner Steve can find a solution between the payoff and him going that, that helps both parties, I think the better. Yeah. I, I thought maybe he could last a, a, a month or so and they have time. It just feels to me like it's the right time to make a break. Maybe he walks and he gets five million. Yeah. That might be a quite a good yeah. little deal. Um, <laughs> they were singing against him after about 73 minutes. I think that they were 3-1 down and they were singing, we want Brucey out. Do you think the new owners sit there? They obviously hear that. Do you think that affects the new owners at all? No, I don't think there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction. I, th I think they have an idea of what they wanted to do when they walked in. I I'm curious, though, Robbie, uh, earlier today, you, mm. you've, I, I thought this was it, one and done yeah, for him. Yeah. Uh, you thought that it he might, might get a little, little bit, bit Some, more, Something yeah. changed today for you. Yeah, a little bit. Just at, at the, the reality. End, the reality yeah. of what yeah. it is and that yeah. where they are in the league and that things aren't going well and John Joe Shelby comes on yeah. and does what he yeah. does. It's like same old, same old. New ownership, same Newcastle at the moment. Yeah. And I think just taking Steve Bruce out of that final line would freshen things up for the football yeah. club. Yeah, and Rebecca, I, I, there's so much involved in this. Take over. The Premier League has said it's one of the most extensive mm. ones and difficult ones they've ever done. Mm. With that being said, I can't imagine this ownership group walks in there and goes, well, let's kind of figure out what to do with Steve Bruce tomorrow. They, they've already known. I think there's a timeline. If that gets expedited because of today, that's possible. But I think who they have in mind has already been settled. They're successful businessmen and women mm. because they're shrewd yeah. and they're ruthless. If you had to put money on it, your $10 million, your Steve <laughs> Bruce money on it, mm. are you thinking he's still in charge for the Palace game next weekend? No, I'm thinking not. I think in the next 24 hours or so, we, we might hear something. I think somebody will be given time to work on things. If they'd have got a result, Rebecca, even mm -hmm. a draw out of mm -hmm. it in the end, but another defeat, we're eight games in and they haven't won a game yet, we could be going in close to Christmas and then you're in serious trouble. He goes this week? Yeah, you? it's my gut. My, it's something, something's telling me this isn't right. Thanks for coming back to the studio with us. Paul Burmeister alongside Tim Howard and Danny Higginbottom. Really a tale of two halves, but that final moment, the way it finished, especially if you're a fan of Arsenal, was quite an ending. <laughs> it was Crystal Palace, they were hanging on, but you just see the balls put by into the box. Give Arsenal credit because they just kept going and going. First of all, I think it's Gabriel with a header, then it falls to White. Each takes the volley, Crystal Palace. They then think they've cleared it, but then Lacazette come on and substitute, but he's in the right place at the right time to give what I believe is Arsenal an undeserved draw, but they kept going all the way to the end. Credit, credit Lacazette, he came on, instantly made an impact. He was always around the danger area. You see him throwing himself in the mix there. He's alert and alive. And it's a, it's a good point in the end because i tell you what, Arsenal were under a lot of pressure. Crystal Palace played well. It's a little bit sloppy here defensively. But, again, massive point for both teams, I think. And we just saw Patrick Vieira there. And I go back to, to the words you spoke just before the second half started about the fact that he needed to instill belief in mm -hmm. his team in that second half. He did for most of the way. They just couldn't quite finish. They couldn't. And you can see Vieira's reaction at the end there. You can see how devastated he is. But I guarantee you going into that dressing room, I know the happier of the two managers is going to be. You've got Patrick Vieira. Mm -hmm. He's been at Crystal Palace for three months. He's changing everything around, bringing the average age of the squad. I tell you, in three months, he looks as though that team has an identity. Arteta, you think he's turned a corner, then they hit a bump in the road. 22 months he's been there. I'm not seeing an identity there. Mm. So when you look at it from that perspective, I think Vieira's hit the ground running, although the results haven't quite come yet. I mean, think about it, think about it this way. Crystal Palace looked deflated yeah. to get a draw at Arsenal. They played well enough to win. And Arsenal score an equaliser and wheel away as if they're incredibly relieved to have drawn the game. And so that, it, it tells a tale, and, and I like the resilience. We keep talking about that word with Crystal Palace. They find ways to come from behind, to draw games, to take the lead. They were good value for it mm -hmm. today. I thought they're pressing. You talk about the identity that Patrick Vieira has instilled in this team. 
They look really good. Again, a little bit probably disappointed for to get to get a draw, but the signs are there for Crystal Palace. I, I think one of the things you look at as well, any top manager, their team mirrors them. Their team mirrors their character, their leadership, and, and, and everything that goes into that. Look at Crystal Palace's two goals that they scored, mm. both from turnovers of possession. Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace wouldn't have done that. This is Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. This is a new era for the football club. And already, after three months, you can see what Patrick Vieira is trying to do at this club. And it was a big risk for him to come to the club. And OK, it's only a short period still. But I think the signs are very good and the results will come. And the results, I mean, that is, that's at least one point in six of the last seven Premier League matches for Crystal Palace. I think there's also a bright side for Arsenal, mm. even though there's reason to be disappointed since they lost those first three games. That's five straight matches where they also have learned, have earned at least one point. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's up and down with, with Arsenal. And, and Danny mentioned it before, every time they turn the corner, there's another little bump. This is a game where they're at home. You think they should brush aside mm. Crystal Palace. They don't. Uh, and and in, in the end, they have to they, they have to really struggle to get a result. And so, for me, as much as they have gotten, they have picked up points slowly. I still worry about the performances and, and and how kind of pedestrian they are, just to enjoy possession as opposed to that final pass and that final shot and goal that ultimately we've come to know from mm-hmm. Arsenal. But this isn't what this Arsenal team is. No, and I still think that when a team puts pressure on them. Mm-hmm. There's a fair factor there with them. They look like they're going to concede. Defensively, they've been you know, somewhat strong, but that's been to the detriment of them attacking because at the moment they're not scoring anywhere near as many goals as they should be doing with the, with the attacking impetus that they've got. So therefore the balance isn't right. And if I'm Mikel Arteta or if I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm not, I'm not looking at the club and thinking we're in a great place at the moment. Yes, you talk about the rebuild. Patrick Vieira in one dugout. Arteta, the other dugout. Look what Vieira has done with this team in such a short space of time compared to what Arteta's done in 22 months. You guys have been on, you know what it's like to be in this kind of a match where a draw is the outcome. How difficult is it for a team to feel good coming out of the locker room when you didn't get the three points, mm. you just got the one? Well, I think from, from Crystal Palace's standpoint, they, they should feel really good because they performed well. They showed the resilience. They got the goals. And, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a punch in the stomach to, to draw. But they'll still get on the bus, go back across town, and feel good about themselves going into the following week. Yeah. And when the dust settles, everything will be all right. But in that dressing room, it will feel like a 5-0 defeat at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But then they'll pick the positives out of it. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings, weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. Bye for now. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.